Quick, Sarah, switch on the power. No! No, you'll destroy my brother! In today's episode... Beast be Sotek, Moraka in Thundred. He does it in black PVC, for goodness sake. This man knows. It's like Studio 54. It's brilliant. It's like there's so many cosy moments juxtaposed with the fear and the horror. The, the lodge itself, I just, I want to live there. Like, there's just something about it that's just so freaking adorable, even if mummies do come popping in. The mummy's literally just there! <laughs> just, like, no. <laughs> Quiet! Hello and welcome back to World Enough and Time, a classic Doctor Who podcast that unites Andy and Alex despite the world and time zones between them. Hello, I'm Andy. (gasps) And I'm Alex. Hello, and how are you? I'm okay. Okay. It's very September-y. It's very September-y here. Oh, what's that mean? I don't know who robbed the summer. No August summer for us. Oh, so no. September in a not an Indian summer kind of a way, in a, it's all gone Absolute kind of a way. Absolutely not. No, oh. no. And I shall shortly be in Sweden. I checked the weather yesterday, and it's boiling hot weather in Sweden. So, I don't, and that's way north of us. So it's just that England is just a disgusting place now. Well, we have <laughs> in taken every single way. Sun. It's already come out now, and we're getting the lovely snowdrops, and it's all spring and lovely, and I'm very excited. It's gorgeous. Oh, I do love the spring. All the leaves and the trees. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sat here marvelling at your background, which is the secondary secondary console room from season 14. Yeah. You've peaked, you've peaked a bit early with your console room, though, haven't you? Wrong season. I hate to critique you. <laughs> you don't hate I to like critique to, me I in like any way. <laughs> I just couldn't turn up with the same bloody console room as last time. Had to ring the changes. There's not as many options as you would think. I need to ask you, what have you been watching on TV? Oh, what have I been watching on TV? Well, lots, basically. <laughs> lots and lots and lots again. I am loving lockdown. It's like well, me and the team, just such hermits, are like, this is brilliant. We have no excuses now. <laughs> just watching television because it's brilliant. But I'll just bring you two. I'll bring you two bits of joy. One being Manifest. Heard of? Ooh. No, not heard of Manifest. 
Is it actually a TV serial? It is. And Series. it's it's got lots of vibes. It's got um yeah, it's like you don't really know what's going on. It's all a bit odd. There's a plane involved. Um and yeah, there's three seasons of it. Um a good chunk of the way through season two. But it's just it's interesting. These okay, concept is these people get on a plane, they arrive at their destination, but when they arrive, after there being a little bit of turbulence on the flight, it's five years later. So everyone Ha, who they're married to and all the rest of it has got on with their lives, thought they were dead, and, and so yeah, insane. Oh, cool. Yeah, so it, the concept itself is quite good, but also they have special abilities. They hear things. Everyone who was on the plane. So yeah, it's all a bit weird, and I like it. Um, oh. And the next one that because I have one that I watch with Iona and one that I watch with Marnie. Um, and the next one I've been watching with Marnie is Nancy Poo or Nancy Drew, but yeah, mainly we call it Nancy Poo. Um, <laughs> Because I, of course, remember the 70s version with Pamela Sue Martin from Dynasty as Nancy Drew. Right. So they've Obviously definitely not. sexed it up. Lots of sex. Ha- you can't sex up Nancy Drew. Well, it's Nancy Drew as an adult um, uh... solving murders while waitressing. Are the Hardy Boys there? Are the Hardy Boys there as well? No. As well. There's no Hardy Boys. Well, they weren't ever as interesting as Nancy Drew, let's be honest. But Exactly. But, um, but yeah, no, it's... It's kind of, it's cheesy. The first season was really good. See, the second season, you could tell they've lost interest. But still. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's just, it's a bit of fun. There's always a mystery, like a mystery. Even though the first season was a bloody suicide. I was like, fuck's sake. All of these fucking episodes, 20, 20 fucking episodes to find out it was a suicide. I was furious. Oh, <laughs> so, that's not good, is it? No. No. So what have you been watching? And I want recommendations, please, and thank you. Oh, well, I don't think any of them are recommendations, I'm afraid. Um, <coughs> I watched all of the first series of Bridgerton, and I know it's only eight episodes, but I say all of it because I struggled through all of it. And I was only watching it because of Nicola Coughlin from Derry Girls. I know you don't like that. Um, and you who else like. is in it? Oh, did you? I thought you didn't like Derry Girls. Hmm. Anyway... Uh, <laughs> And Polly Walker is in it, and I like I like Polly Walker. She's brilliant. Okay. Um, but but um, anyway, it's got some really good cast in it, but the script just isn't up to it, and they're far more interested in the sex, um, and in playing modernish music and wearing costumes that are non-period to try and shock people, and it's just it just all jars and clashes, and it just. It's not well written enough. It's I not well written. I liked it. <laughs> oh, you watched it? Yeah, I've seen the whole thing and I was like, this is brilliant. <laughs> I watched the whole thing in about two nights. <laughs> really? I was so bored by the romance between the central couple. Oh, honestly, I, I had no interest in them whatsoever. The, the main two couldn't care two shits about. Right. I get, yeah, they weren't my favourites. I'm definitely more interested in the righty one and the yes, the Derry Girls one. Um, yeah, but the sort of like yeah. But I really yeah. liked the way they talked about sex. I really liked that. To me, there were some important parts in there. They just 
for me, things that need to be in TV series is today, just to really demonstrate that it's okay for a woman to enjoy themselves, just the kind of the really oh, I see. being quite yeah. clear about that and it being not just for men. I think that's that's just something that whenever it's a period piece, they just go back to generally rape and grossness towards women. Yeah. But suddenly this was something that actually involved it being about the woman more so than the man which is obviously always important for me um so yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I that side of it i really liked i just i hate sex for sex's sake you know what i'm like in my prudish right. ways but i just found that this yeah. was done in a way that i actually was quite happy about it it just it tried to ring the changes as to how sex is portrayed in these kind of things so i yeah that made me happy the thing that annoyed me the most was the eloise there was not enough of an exploration of her sexuality or where she was because she's kind of almost asexual and that i hope they bring something out of that um and then there's the middle so brother apparently every the... season they do like this they focus in on a new couple so there's going to uh, be uh, okay because the middle brother is obviously gay but that was only sort of like tiny sort of like part of it and it was just like Oh, you just put that. It felt like to me, like oh, you just put that in just to you know to say there was a gay character, and it was just it just wasn't developed, and that annoyed me. Yeah, but so I think maybe it's because they're constrained by the books. Yeah, they kind of yeah. I think each each season is a new is the, the next youngest Bridgerton, so they just keep going yeah. going down in age order of each Bridgerton that then kind of has their own moment in the sun. Good, and that's all you've been watching, or all you're willing to do. I've, I've started watching. I've started watching the chair. And it's promising, but it reminds me too much of all the Oxbridge politics. I'm not sure I can cope with it. It's set at an American university. Sandra O oh from um, Killing Eve. Oh, yes. Yes. So anyway, that's what we've been watching on TV. So it must be time. It must be time for a quiz. Oh, fuck yeah. I've got my quiz book if we're allowed to halfy halfy. Well, I'm not even doing one, so well, fully fully. Fully, fully. Bastard. <laughs> okay, right. Right. I think we'll go with the unit good guys. Yes, good. Oh, shit. I don't like the sound of this one already. It sounds like a title that was written by a, a New Who fan. Not that New Who fans are bad, but it sounds very like, let's look back on Unit in a way that's wrong. You just said <laughs> who's bad. I heard you. Uh... <laughs> I did not. <laughs> did a little bit. And quiet now. <laughs> wow. She's, she's, she's gone right close up to the screen with her long pink hair. It's always a surprise what her hair's going to be like. Very long pink hair today. I don't think it's a match for the secondary console room. No. Uh, I'm listening. Can you... <laughs> Which technical fellow works on a machine to get through the heat barrier around Devil's End? That would be Sergeant Osgood. You are a winner, baby. Um, which scientific advisor does the doctor call his new best friend? Ooh. Well, I presume it must be Liz Shaw. Yeah, I wish they gave you some more background with the answers because I'm like, I'm still stumped when I've got the answer. Dr. Malcolm Taylor. Oh, I think that's, um, I think that's Lee Evans in Planet of... Planet of the Dead, yeah. Oh, no. Okay, 
Which officer is killed by a Silurian after saving the oh, brigadier's life? Christ. I think that might be Paul Darrow's character, but I don't know what he's called. Interesting. Unless you get the name, it's just a wrong from me. <laughs> um, sergeant? Is it a sergeant? I'm going to say yeah. sergeant. Well, right, Captain someone. It's Captain someone, isn't it? I thought it was. Captain... Um, Captain, quickly look up in the programme guide next to me. <laughs> Think Treasure Island. Captain I know Flint. how much you hate it. <laughs> Captain Hawkins. Okay, who is Isabel Watkins' dolly soldier? Oh, that was the man she liked in the invasion. And I can't remember what she called him. Tommy. He was called Tommy something. I don't know what's going on here. What's happening? (laughs) (laughs) Can you explain the question to me? Who is Isabel Watkins' dolly soldier? And who's Isabel Watkins? Let's start there. Isabel Watkins is the daughter of Professor Watkins in The Invasion. She's probably the most fashionable ever supporting character in Doctor Who. She has big hats and she's the photographer. Oh. Yeah, yeah. oh, do you remember her? She befriends Zoe and they, they have a photo shoot in Feather Boas. Anyway, she falls for one of the unit guys and she calls him her dolly soldier. Right, now I've worked, I've moved away from dinosaur invasion. I now am closer to getting where you are. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I was like, I just do not remember this person running around. And I can't remember what he's called. That's terrible. No, Tommy Watkins. No, that's what she's called. Tommy Perkins. Don't know. It's all quite likely. Captain Jimmy Turner. Oh, Jimmy. Yes. I knew it was a uh, me. Jimmy. Jimmy. Oh, Jimmy Mac. When are you coming back? (laughs) (laughs) Which? Jimmy. Jimmy. (laughs) Jimmy. (laughs) Oh, I really hate you. I'm a bit toppy. (laughs) Jim, me, Jim, me. You're breathing. You're breathing in the middle of the word. Breathe at the end, Jim, me. (laughs) (laughs) Which female soldier assists the brigadier during the First World Peace Conference and the Axon invasion? Corporal Bell. Oh, Corporal Bell. Do I know Corporal Bell? I doubt it. She's played by the actress Fernanda Marlowe. Oh, well done, her. Um, which officer reports the discovery of the newly regenerated third doctor unconscious beside the TARDIS? I would like to know this. Captain someone. Captain someone. Yeah. Don't know his name because he's only from Unit and I don't care that much. <gasps> Turner. Turner. No. Monroe. Monroe, yes. He was quite a sort of solid guy, wasn't he? With a sort of quiff. Yeah. I liked him. He's a good man. Which sergeant serves under both Brigadier's Lethbridge Stewart and Bambera? Sebegniev? Yes. That gets points. I should hope so, seeing as it's correct. (laughs) I know! I feel like you could get a couple more, but no, let's not get excited. Who from the scientific supplies section is a dolly Scotsman, according to Joe? There was a lot of dollies. 
Oh, that was from Tara of the Autons. That's the person she rang up when she thought she was being all important when she was just ordering stationery. I wanted to punch her, yes. <laughs> yes. Or at least the scriptwriter. Um We wouldn't punch Robert Holmes, no, would we? Not on today's episode. <laughs> um I don't know who it was. Someone, Mr Potato Head. Yes, very close. Mr Campbell. Um which unfortunate soldier is turned into compost by Harrison Chase? Oh, Jesus Christ. These are complete also-ran people. <laughs> <laughs> this is just basically, name a middle-aged white man. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, that's what this quiz is. <laughs> name a middle-aged white man, mostly between 1970 and 1976. Good luck. Um, I'm just going to call him Williams. <laughs> Because they all are called things like that, but I don't know what he's called. What's he called? I'm on now. Um, Sergeant Henderson, obvs. Oh, of course it was. And one final one. The doctor objects to Luke Rattigan calling which soldier a grunt. Please tell me where we are with this. Any story in particular? So this is um, this is New Who, Suntaran Stratagem and the Poison Sky. Oh. So... He's the wonderkind person. Oh. Um, so I imagine it's just... If it's not the Brigadier... Is the Brigadier in that? No, it's not, is he? So whoever's in charge in that mm. one in unit... I have no memory. Isn't that terrible? No. <sighs> well, oh, yes, I can really have a go at you for your memory. <laughs> <laughs> I would have got that in a heartbeat. That's John's birth story, that is. Oh, cute. Okay, it's Ross Jenkins. Yes. Good. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah, he's the young, youngish one with the red beret. Yes, I remember that. Didn't they all have red berets? Surely that was their uniform. <laughs> I like how he was called Jenkins, because that was close to all my Perkins and all of those. Yes. <laughs> I should have just guessed that one. You could have. So how many did you get? You got some. You got some right. Well done. Yay, me! I got some right out of te- some right out of. It felt like more than ten. I have to say, no, it was ten. I was good. I stuck to ten that time. Oh, well done! Wow, you know your middle-aged white man. Woo! So they can't see me the extent of my celebration, unfortunately, on the podcast. I can't imagine. What <laughs> oh, now I see it. Yeah. Impressive. So I am happily wheeling despite its incredible weight, a large object into the centre of the room. (laughs) 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 Yes! It's no less than the time-space visualiser. What is this machine? I've already told you, my dear. It's a time-space visualiser. You mean a sort of time television? Yeah, it's like that. Yes, that's exactly what this is. So... Where would you like to take us on this televisual extravaganza that is the time-space visualiser segment of our show? Oh, well, I um, I would like to take you on a journey. Really hope I <laughs> In... can think of a song at all at the same time. <laughs> I can't tell that you're just deciding one now. It just feels like this is a seamless sentence. Okay, right. <laughs> No, I'm I'm inspired by my own hair because God, I needed something right in front of me that was going to jump out at me. I I am going to take you into a brilliant bit of the '90s, and we're going to listen to a bit of 
Pink Sunshine by Fuzzbox. Well, that was rather wonderful. I don't think there's enough people who remember Fuzzbox, the wonder that was Fuzzbox. No. 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 They were amazing. And was their full name, I've got a Fuzzbox and I know what to do with it? Or have I made I that think maybe originally, made... but they, uh, they, yeah, they definitely reduced it down to just Fuzzbox. Yes. <laughs> she said it with a very concerned look on her face. Let's get the record straight on Fuzzbox. <laughs> <laughs> Heads will roll if we get this wrong. <laughs> exactly. Well, I am not going to do a song from the week, weeks that Pyramids was on. I'm going to go back a little bit earlier. Oh, no, it's, it's still 1975. Sorry. But when Tom and Liz were in the woods by the Priory, well, it's not a Priory in real life, but you know what I mean, filming Pyramids, this song was number two in the charts. And as we listened to it, I'd like you to think of Liz Sladen throughout Pyramids of Mars, just a vignette of all of her different expressions, movements, her face, basically. And the song is called, the song is called Loving You by Minnie Ripperton. Loving you. Oh, that one. I was thinking it was going to be that one. Yes. Oh, I love that song. So we need to play this and think about... Dear, dear. So, think of Liz. That took me out of the moment now.
wonderful. Yes, that was wonderful. Now, Good choiceingtons. Yes. Oh, I can hear someone outside in the in the hallway. She's back again. Uninvited. Does she ever go home? Good um, job. You don't have a proper lockdown there. Otherwise, she'd be brewing <laughs> your bubble. Go, go back to Tunbridge Wells, Lou. That's where you live. <laughs> you don't live here. You're listening to World Enough and Time, a classic Doctor Who podcast. I think we might have to do a bit of a restraining order. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but thanks. Lou, all the same. I suppose she is. She is promoting the podcast, yes. so I'll let her off this Tirelessly. time. But next month, <laughs> yeah. Well, next month you're going to have a whole host of new celebrities in your in your hallway. I can't wait to find out who it's going to be. So, hooray! We have arrived at our story du jour. God, we got there faster than normal, didn't we? God, I know. I don't know what's going on. You pit your puny will against mine. <laughs> Kneel. No! Kneel before the might of Sutek. <laughs> In my presence, you are an ant, a termite, a base yourself, you groveling insect. So, I really, really struggled to even contemplate doing this one because. It is, just without any doubt, my favourite Doctor Who story of all time. Wow. That's pretty huge. It is huge. That is is quite dangerous. Yes. I would say this is formative of my character, this story. I think this actually is part of me in a way that I can't quite understand or fathom fully. So... Yeah, it's part of my DNA, this story. So, wow. Do you think you got your love of Egyptology and stuff because of it or just as well as? No, directly. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And also I think my, my love of things Edwardian and furniture, I think it's part of the reason I've got this house. <laughs> 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 wow, that really has been quite an impact. Yes. Um, yeah, just everything. It's quite bizarre. Mm. And yeah, we'll unpack that as we continue. But I but, guess, um, like, going to the fact that you were texting me and saying that it was, you watched it when you were four as an omnibus, is that right? Yes. That's... Have I said what it is yet? Have I said that it's Pyramids of oh, Mars yet? Well, <laughs> well, it's the title of the podcast. They'll guess. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, so um, November 76, which I just remember that I was sat down in front of the TV and I saw mummies walking through the woods and I didn't know what they were, but I knew they were terrifying because of the music and I could hear the twigs snapping and cracking and I just remember it being horrifying and... No concept of I shouldn't have been left there alone, because mm. you don't at four. But that's one of my earliest memories. So that's just really... Yes! But then I kind of must have known about it. And I think I looked at the cover of the book in libraries growing up. Oh, so okay. I knew what it. So I knew what it was from, on that basis, but I couldn't have told you anything about it other than there was mummies. And then it gets really hazy as to work out, well, how do you understand it? 
what it is. But once I've once I got the program guide, obviously I could see the title of it in 1981, and I saw what it was, and I was like, well, that must be that one. And then I um, bought this novelization. At the kiosk in Blackpool. Oh, I was just trying to remember what it looked like. Yes. And you always loved that one, even though it's possibly not the most beautiful of covers, just maybe because it did bring to mind so many happy thoughts for you just instantly. I I don't know how many times I read this book. Probably about 20 or 25 times. Wow, really? Yeah. But I do prefer this cover, which is the original Target, which I've got a copy of. Uh, oh, even though Tom looks a bit surly, doesn't he? He doesn't look quite right Yeah, there. and Sarah's, Sarah's not quite right either. But it is it is nice. But it's the right and, shot of her to do. I think I love the fact that oh, she yeah, does have gun. the gun. Yeah, so yeah, totally. Brilliant. But what is inside this book, I hear you cry? What's inside that book? Oh! <gasps> Tell me that is a leaf that you found when you went loitering around Star House. Stargrove's house, yes Star- it is. Wow. I picked that up and it's a, a, a flattened dry leaf from Stargrove's house from where the mummies trampled. So poor old Brian once, he drove me there and I said, just let me out of the car. I'm just going to do a quick dash, fully clothed. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for confirming. Through the grounds of Stargirl's house. It was a bit silly, really, because I could easily have just been arrested for trespassing. Well, <laughs> really, that would have been look. a lovely story, wouldn't it? And that's when I picked up that leaf, and it's been in this book ever since. So, that's me. Well, the start of me in Pyramids of Mars. What about you in Pyramids of Mars? Um, I think this is one of the first um, videos we got, would you say? Was this one that they did... Oh, yeah. Edited it um, so yeah. that they didn't have the episode endings. So, yeah, I'd say this is, it, it was, I think you were quite keen to give me that education in Doctor Who that you had received too. I think the, the experience that you had from watching Pyramid, Pyramids of Mars had been one that you really wanted to replicate for me. So I remember being excited by it. I remember the hush when we watched it. Um and yeah, I guess it's it's a, it has just always been the the safe bet one. I guess you know that no matter like what you're feeling, you just put it on. It will always be glorious. It's not. It's never gonna let you down. It's it's just it's, all of the feelings are there. It's it's quite speedy, which is, <laughs> that sounds awful, but I don't I don't want my doctor who's to to kind of have an unnecessary episode where you're just waiting for shit to happen so yeah. it, it just everything romps on quite wonderfully um and it just the the feel of it gets you every time i think that they're, they're very good to i think a lot of the incidental music that kind of thing just really gets you into a mood a certain special place so even when you're watching it like last night specifically for the purpose of this you still feel a certain way as a result of watching yeah. it which i think is quite a, a powerful thing for um a story to continue to do because we must have seen it um oh yeah i just can't even think how many times i've seen it like it's just ludicrous it's just yeah exactly it must be a ridiculous figure yeah in the yeah. hundreds really it's mad yeah, i think so it's mad really but, yeah um, yeah it was the first video we got that was bought because right. we had the five doctors recorded before that so, but this was the first bought one. I remember buying it in WH Smith in Newcastle, for, and I remember thinking, 
I've got £10 here and now I can exchange it for an old Doctor Who story that I can watch whenever I want. Well, I have to go round to the, the chimney sweep's house. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and I remember thinking, someone's going to stop me buying this before I get to the till. Because I, I remember picking it up and thinking, well, how is this possible that I can just buy this? It just seemed impossible. And I just remember just the desperation to see it. And I think I saw it by myself first. Um, but then then I think you were permitted to join me the second time. <laughs> At Buzz Willis's house? Yes, yeah, exactly. Wow. Um, but I, I still can feel the coldness of that room. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a bad room. It was just that they kept the heating quite low there. Or maybe we were just in the Thumberland. So I always feel like there's a slight frosty air to the, the room and a cleanness. And that is part of my experience of Pyramids of Mars, that just listening to that quite loud and just being like, oh, my God, I'm in my own little theatre and this is amazing. And, oh, I, I can't describe how that felt I, she must have been thought we were insane Vi Willis like going around there like, can I watch this video what again yeah. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> you're the mad one Mrs Willis what's going on with you yeah. exactly why don't you understand <laughs> yeah but what's even madder is you think of it that was, the story was only 10 years old at that point wow really yeah and here is us. How many years on? 40, it's 45 years old now. <laughs> Insane. But it is so yes. flawless, isn't it? It's just, it does, it does seem like a, a work of art where everything just came together. Yes. So a bit of background on Pyramids. So it was intended to be the first story of the 13th season to begin with. But then Terror of the Zygons was held over to start the series. And then they thought, oh, we can't have Zygons followed by Pyramids because then we'd have two Earth-bound stories. So we'll put Planet of Evil in between. So it became the third in this season. Oh. Um, filmed um, at Stargrove's April to May 75. Um, and then the studio afterwards. And do you know what day it was first broadcast in 1975? I don't know. Twenty no. fifth of October. Oh. So you are exactly mi- you are exactly minus three. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yes. I like the um, anniversarial nature of that one. Good. Originally written by Lewis Griefer, but he didn't really understand Doctor Who, and he had this idea about this alien grain, which these Egyptian gods were trying to fight over and try to refoliate Mars. Um. And destroy the moon and all this sort of thing. It's very involved. But um, the producer, Philip Hinchcliffe, decided that Griefer didn't really think... He didn't really think Griefer had ever watched Doctor Who before because it didn't really make sense. And Robert Holmes, as the script editor, was fed up of the elements that he... There was elements he didn't like that, that Griefer was intent on, including this alien grain or seed or rice idea, which he just felt was really odd. Right. But um, the bits about that original script that sound really exciting are mummies in the British Museum coming to life. Oh, so, okay. So that was part of it. But it was a very much a unit contemporary story. Mm. And when Lewis Griefer was told, oh, your scripts are unusable, but we'll pay you. And Robert Holmes did a what was called a page one rewrite. 
and they decided to set it back in the past because then it, then it would have. They basically more just took goth- the title. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm the only. There's the Eye of Horus being keeping the person trapped element. I think it's the only thing. But other than that, um, yeah, they tried to get the gothic element of, you know, 1911. Mm. Um, that worked so nicely, didn't it? I think the being set in the kind of recent past is a really nice mm. way that Doctor Who works. Like, even, even when we've got bad stories like Ghostlight, where I don't really... Love it. Did you just say when we've got bad stories like Ghost Light, the swathes of people who just went, what? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'm not for offending people. It's my favourite thing. Um, but yeah, just nice outfits and kind of uh, a kind of cosy feeling that that, area, that era gives you just kind of, you can forgive most things. But yeah, with Pyramids of Mars, it's just like that works just to doubly improve everything. It's just perfect. Yes. Huh. One of the very few Doctor Who stories to be direct directed by a woman. <clears throat> oh, didn't know that. Paddy. P- Paddy Russell is, well, Patricia Russell. Oh, but, I didn't um, know that. Very keen to ensure that Sarah has agency and purpose throughout the story. Oh, wow. Well, that shows yes. at one point, yeah, because obviously you've heard Marnie's views on Doctor Who, but she, she was there in the background. She's a brilliant she's holding a gun i'm so pleased i think that's the first time i've seen something like that in dog two so that does show through like it's i think marnie's quite as i am quite heightened to those kind of things and she's kind of always looking out for it but yeah it was quite a relief for her to have that kind of strength throughout so that's brilliant that that's what paddy brought with well done her yeah but as a director she really wasn't liked hugely by the cast including tom and liz who felt she was very authoritarian and very rigid and she she really drilled them in rehearsal and it was rehearsed 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 and they both felt it was over rehearsed um but i think it's actually why the story is so polished and everything is so deft and they may not have enjoyed filming it but it russell's direction i think is what makes it perfection because she gets the performances she wants. Yeah. Oh, fascinating. Because, yeah, no, it, it does... Yeah, it just has a slickness that often is missing yeah. from Doctor Who. And so, mm-hmm. well done her. Like, that that really was what was needed to make it work as well as it did. So, thank goodness she did. Yeah. Because Liz Slayton is never... I was always disappointed, because I would always... Early interviews I saw with or read with her, I always thought she was going to say, well, Pyramids of Mars was my favourite. And she never did, because... <laughs> She didn't like. Because the... she just liked the fucking jungle on the bloody planet. Oh, <laughs> honestly, yeah, that that was it. But also, she was ill. She had flu during the location filming of Pyramids of Mars, so that would have affected how she felt as well. But also, she didn't like the gun bit. She said, "I didn't see where that was in Sarah's backstory." And I'm like, "Well, no, just be glad that you're getting some stuff to do. It's good." What do you mean her backstory? Obviously, it's all about growth and getting somewhere. Like. Yeah. She's she needs to be that person who isn't cowed by yeah. the fact that she's a woman, that she just would do things for herself. That's, yeah. that's annoying of her. Okay. Well that's Liz Slate, yeah. not Sarah Jane. Exactly. And I think Sarah Jane has better thoughts. I think that if I've, anything that I've learnt from doing work with T V people and writing books and D V D releases and all that, it's that you have to separate the actor from the performance and from the character. 
And in one series that I did, I have to do that completely because she's an arch enemy. But (laughs) nothing, not that. Oh, we're not going to. We're not going to. I think I know. But um, not in Doctor Who, obviously, for people listening. But um, I kind of, I don't have to do that so much with Liz because she's she's brilliant. But I think the actors have a perception which is separate from what we actually see on screen as to how brilliantly something can come over. And yeah, and they just don't know how good they were in it or how good it was. So things like that, um, like in Mars, where they kind of they walk into the room and then kind of within one motion turn around yeah. and walk back, like that, that kind of thing is just so slick that hopefully that is part of that impressive direction. Well, like no, actually, that's, the kind that, of thing that's that one is- thing that they, um, that Sladen and Baker worked out in rehearsal. That oh, particular really? bit. Oh, I love that. Yes. But, um, oh, I love that that comes from um, them understanding their characters so mm. well, though. That is a lovely feeling. It is, isn't it? Are you going to help, or are you just going to stand there and admire the scenery? Your shoes need repairing. I actually wasn't admiring the scenery. I was waiting for you to tell me what to do. Just hold the base. I don't want it to fall. Dangerous? Very dangerous. So, of course... We cannot start without an accurate synopsis from Alex. So, give me your synopsis on Pyramids of Mars. Right, well, we've got the Doctor and Sarah in the TARDIS being lovely. Don't know where they've just been. They've been somewhere. They were happy. Like them. Did you just say they were somewhere? I don't know. Dare the Zygons, maybe. They've been doing something. They were happy. Anyway... They're chatting to each other, being wonderful. Ah! Sutek's head comes out. Where's that come from? We don't know it's Sutek's head, but we now know. We can infer based on the information to come. Um, They land near a sarcophagus, unexpected. Um, They meet a lovely butler. Oh, the best butler a man would ever meet. Um, Who says there's been weird shit happening in the house where are they? Unit will be there soon. Where are they now? You know, the old one. The Priory, sweetie. The Priory. Um, they jump out a window. Meet a man who got shot. No? Did they jump? How did they get the man? No, no, that's not it. They jump out of a window. <laughs> oh, God, the order's already very confusing. Anyway, they meet a lot of lovely English gentlemen. I'd like to not say it's a lot of middle-aged white men, but there's a fair few of them. Um, and they run around some woods essentially um, and how do they meet Warlock? I'm really confused I actually can't work out how they meet Warlock but they do, doesn't really matter they meet a man, he says actually the owner of the house is in Egypt is he? odd and his brother has been chucked out of the house not fair listen to the organ to go in it's moody, I know, scary Mummies are going to come out and get you. Run. Okay. Marcus, no, not Marcus, the other one. Lawrence. Oh, it's so confusing. I always feel like Marcus should be Marcus. Anyway, he's got a Marconi scope. That's because he gets messages from the stars. Um, they're hearing an SOS. We didn't talk about an SOS. We should talk about an SOS. Um, and there must be a message. Odd. 
we find out about Sutek. How do we find out about Sutek? Oh, well, we see, we see Lawrence, no, Marcus. <laughs> he arrives in the most, like, multicoloured, brilliant way a person has ever entered a room through a sarcophagus that shines with bright lights. Like, that is the way to make an entrance. Boy, does he just do it. He does it in black PVC, for goodness sake. This man knows. It's like Studio 54. It's brilliant. Anyway. Um, <laughs> in he pops. It's my brother. No, he's not. He's dead. Don't panic. Um, and... There's organs. There's lots of organs. That, they're, they're good. Um... Oh, he's Sutex. He's Sutex slave. No, Sutex. What do they call him? I am Sutex. Servant. Servant. That's the word. It's a tricky one. <laughs> <laughs> I like it when you add in the words. It's very helpful. Um, he's Sutex servant. That's how we get to know. With a lot of Egyptian stuff going on. That's our clue. Um, we know now Sutex, who has been imprisoned by Horus because he's a bad hat. Bad hats need to be imprisoned and they can do dangerous things. We must stop him from getting free by Marcus getting into his tomb. They've set him free almost, almost. No more, yeah, it is Marcus. Scary, how's he gonna get out with a pyramid that goes to Mars and does that? <laughs> Still don't know how that would have worked. Anyway, that bit doesn't work. Jellignite. Doctor. Distraction. Ah! <laughs> Did I scare you? I feel you've done <laughs> several <laughs> scenes with a raw moment. It's <laughs> <laughs> taking too long. I like how I to scare you with that, though. You actually jumped in your seat when I went, Rah! <laughs> It was good. Anyway, Sutex, like, you bastard, you've ruined my plans. Don't worry, I know that you're a Time Lord because I've got my little database with four little digits on it. I like those four little digits, they were good. So, you're a Time Lord. Take Lawrence Marcus. <laughs> really, it's like, it's worse than left and right for a lot of people. Lawrence, <laughs> no, Marcus. Take Marcus with you and, um, and you can set me free. Job done. He does that. Unfortunately, Doctor and Sarah are not quick enough. But there's a time factor! The time factor! He comes back, traps him in between times in the vortex. He gets to see a lot of lovely colours. The end! A perfect retelling of Pyramids of oh, Mars there honestly. from our Mars correspondent. For someone who says they've seen this about a hundred times, you'd not think I'd seen it more than twice. Fucking hell. That was awful. I was like, what happens next? I can't really remember. Yes. <laughs> you skated over some parts of the story. <laughs> skated? I was absolutely confused. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's what this story needed. Yes, it was. So, it's it's kind of like, I don't know where to start with this. I know we've kind of started, but it's just there's so much to say. I think if we go through kind of chronologically-ish-ish. Yeah, I've got chronological-ish notes, so yes. yes. First of all, Curtin 
Still intact after 2,000 yeah. years. I don't think so, sweetie. Yes, and, and Marisa said, I know you don't want me to critique things during this because this is your favourite story, but that curtain was clearly on a curtain pole with rings and it was pulled back on one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. yes. But, um, but then that moment, as soon as he goes through to Sutek, uh, just to me, there's just so much excitement. Like the excitement already of... Finding an untouched tomb, yeah. I think, is just you. You're almost you're in that. You're in that kind of Howard Carter kind of a, like, oh my god, this yeah. is unbelievable. You just know that all tombs were raided and they just everything. And so I guess I almost get the joy of the fact that they really did find a tomb. Um, and then when he walks through to Sutek and he's like, there's a man there. Like it's just that shit. I just find really gets your heart yeah. instantly. You're like, this is amazing. Yeah. It really you're struck so quickly with this is going to be fantastic because so many eye-watering things have just occurred it was yeah Mm. it's lovely now i have the added excitement because that step pyramid you see at the start which was obviously from stock footage um is you know in saqqara i've actually been there so um marisa and i went there on our honeymoon and all the way through that trip around egypt um the guides got to know me pretty well because I was always saying, and it's that Sutek over there. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> <laughs> but they were so sick of me. And they were kind of like... Well, more commonly, he's known as Set and all this sort of stuff. But um, but also, because I'd read up a lot about it, I knew that they didn't put Set on monuments because he was evil. So they would put him in his disguise. And when Set was disguised, right. he was always a hippo. So... Ah. So if there's a hippo on a monument, it's actually Sutek, but they don't want to put him there in case he can be reanimated sort of thing. Wow. Yes. So um, I was always saying things and they were like, how do you know that? Shut up at the back sort of thing. And it was kind of like, he knows too much about very limited things. But <laughs> Yeah, very specific stuff that interested yeah. you. The rest of it, just closing your ears, not listening. Yeah, to exactly. Yeah. Anyway. Yes. Um... That first TARDIS scene, oh, I think that might be the most perfect TARDIS scene that has ever been. Yes, it is lovely. I, I, and honestly, I think I realised only this time that I hadn't got the joke with Victoria and Albert the, every other time I've ever watched it. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, because I think I, with so much Doctor Who stuff, it's just like, it's just guided by the first time you see it and like it's just to me it was just like as long as someone with a boy's name didn't wear it was the joke <laughs> right. like that was it like I just had not got the Victoria and Albert link at all which is terrifying yeah. hey doctor doctor look what I found hello Vicky what hmm? where did you get that dress I just told you I found it back there in the wardrobe why don't you like it Yes, yes, I always did. Victoria wore it. She travelled with me for a time. Well, as long as Albert didn't wear it. (laughs) Oh, come on, Doctor. That's worth a smile, surely. What's the matter? You should be glad to be going home. The Earth isn't my home, Sarah. I'm a Time Lord. Oh, I know you're a Time Lord. You don't understand the implications. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. What's that supposed to mean? It means I've lived for something like 750 years. Oh, you'll still be middle-aged. Yes! I did this weird thing 
early on with Pyramids of Mars, where I took photos with an old camera of different screenshots. I'd pause the video and take a photo. Or maybe I didn't pause it, actually, because that would have a line on the screen in those days, wouldn't it? So I just played, I just took a photo. I remember this. I remember you taking pictures of Sarah going up the steps. Yes! I remember these pictures. Yeah. Yes. So I had a photo of her That's going so up the steps. Funny. I had a photo with the cloth on her head when she's going, oh, I know you're a Time Lord. Um, yes. Various moments that I just loved. One when they're going to the poacher's hut. And it was just like... It was just because they're like, well, the only pictures I've got really are what I get from the Doctor Who yeah. magazine. And so I've got an opportunity to create my yes. own here. I may as well create my yeah. own scenes. And yeah, no, I I completely was like, yeah, this, he's on to something. <laughs> Why don't we do that more often? <laughs> he's on to something. Yeah. I've still got those photographs somewhere. I don't know where they are, but yeah. yeah. Brilliant. But that scene, that moment where the TARDIS goes out of control and... She sees this head of Sutek. Oh, that was just... Ah, just love it. Whatever it was... Really? It was, does that get you? Oh, totally. And when she says, whatever it was, it was totally malevolent. You know, it's like, no, I don't want to see it yes. again. I just think it's... Yeah. I just, I love that moment. I just feel it's really powerful. And what John kept saying... By the way, John watched it and loved it. As soon as I said he was doing pyramids, oh, did he? He was like, "Oh, I'm in." And Marisa said, "Oh, can I? Wa- I'll watch it as well." So we all watched it as a family, which is nice because we haven't for a while. I'd love to say the same happened. <laughs> Not quite. Um, but it never occurred to me until I read something yesterday, and it was that the head that you see in that moment is different to the head at the end. It's a- yes, very different, and it's. Yeah. Is it just that it was too terrifying? I don't know. I, I think, to me, it was just always that Sutek could be seen in so many mm. different faces. That's yeah, That was the kind of thing that you're always left feeling with all the Egyptian gods, is that they have so many different guises that you never know which one you're going to see, and that's almost unimportant. It's just, he's scary no matter how he looks kind of yeah. thing, and it's just the, the essence of him that scares the shit out of you, not a specific face. It doesn't have to the only one that yeah. moved yeah, yeah. Um how much of this script do you know off by heart, by the way? <laughs> um being as my brain is awful, possibly less than I ought to, but um but like there's nothing that's I'm not expecting. Like you're expecting every part of it. I'm just I'm really shit at yeah. getting words. But um yeah I yeah, I, as soon as you start seeing Ibrahim Namin and like I'm just like all of his bits, I just they warm my heart. As soon as Ibrahim Namin is talking, I'm like, I just love him. He just he has such a lovely lyrical yeah, way. That's that he what talks I wrote down. It's just... Lyri- I wrote down oh, lyrical. Wow. Can you see? Oh no, I'm wrong oh, side. I wrote down lyrical. Wow. Yeah. Wow. We're on the same. That is insane because I didn't write that down. <laughs> <laughs> and it's all—it's the way the script flows as well. When he says, "I'm Ibrahim Namin," and the, and Warlock immediately says, "I know your name," and it's just the way it flows. It's like, oh, it's blah. Yeah, no, it's, I can't explain. It is. It's it's slickness. It well, it's also believable. That's it. Like if you if you rehearse it that well, that it just, it feels real. Like there's no part of it where you're like, oh, I would have said that bit differently. Where I think in most ones I watch when we. 
when we review it for the purposes of the podcast, yeah. most of the time I think, oh, well, that was a kind of a weird way of saying it. Or they could have, like, it's there's always that bit that jars you. But with this one, it's just everything has been done so perfectly. You just, you're allowed to be in the moment, which we're, when you're reviewing, you don't let yourself so much. I, I'm very much on the alert for what have they fluffed? What have they done like this? And like, for for me, it was just like it took all of the stress out of it because it was all done so yes. well that you kind yeah, of, you, you don't have to be jumping on every little thing that they've done wrong. Yeah. Now we come to my favourite scene in all of Doctor Who, all of Doctor Who, every single moment. This is my favourite, and you know, and it's the Doctor and Sarah jumping out of the window. And crawling along in front of the house, and the the camera pans back. Actually, that, oh, it's beautiful. Marnie was really giggling at that. She was like, "That's so silly," and I'm like, "Yeah, that's kind of the point. Like, they are very silly. Like, it's so lovely to see them be so silly together like that, isn't it?" But when yeah, they suddenly have to duck for the window and that. Oh. Yes, yeah, they really over dramatise yeah. that. But also, we've missed Colin. Oh, sorry. Like, to sorry. me, Colin's was so important. Like. I was actually quite shocked, even though obviously I've seen this so many times, obviously memory's still appalling. I was shocked how quickly he died. Because to me, Collins is just like, obviously I've seen him in a million things since. Yeah. Like he's just one of those actors who's yeah. always doing a little bit part here yeah. and there. And But he'll always be Collins for me. Like yeah. that's, that's his role and I will forever think of him like that. And it was just like, shit, you're dead already. Like I know everything that you've said. Like and when he's saying his nibs as well, I think, oh, fucking love yeah. you. It's and just, it's the fact that he's so adorable. Every character is developed, so you get a real strong sense that, you know, he says, I wouldn't be staying. But, you know, and it's like he, yeah, he, he is reasons. there under sufferance yes. and he's really scared and he's not happy and he thinks the Egyptian guy's mad and he doesn't know what's going on with his world. And he's only in it for a few scenes, but you believe in him completely, don't you? Holy. Yeah. 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 No, he is. He's brilliant. Of course it would make an, an ideal headquarters for some paramilitary organisation. This room could easily be turned into a laboratory. Oh, hello. Who are you? How did you get in here? Through the window. I understood the property was for sale. No. Ah, uh, you're not fooling me, sir. You came with Dr Warlock, didn't you? Did we? He asked you to scout round whilst he kept his nibs busy. Listen, if you're a friend of Dr Warlock, sir, tell him to watch out. I'll watch out for what? The Egyptian. There's no knowing what he might do. He's got the temper of the devil himself. And they're just... The, the effort is not put in for a lot of those bit part characters in lots that we've seen. Like, if we think about Planet of Fire, the backstories on all of the other um, people from oh, um, honestly. wherever it's called. Zahn. Yeah, they yes. are just... Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like they just don't bother. It was just too much effort to give them any reason for being. But this guy, who was so unimportant, still gets a reason, and we still can love him for his basically one and a half scenes like it wasn't much but he was just beautiful in them. yeah he totally was um so are we at the point of unveiling the mummy in the sarcophagus yes, yes. so of course i have to tell my mummy story is that now i have touched the head of a mummy the one of those mummies because of my visit to the Classic so Museum cool. of Sci-Fi or Museum of Classic Sci-Fi, I never know what it's called. But anyway, the unveiling of the mummy head there recently. Um, oh, that was amazing! And but that was the new thing for me watching pyramids was was it that mummy head I touched? Was it that mummy head? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking 
whether or not you were going to be a, thinking like that. But you would. You'd want to know. But there's only two of them that get the, the gold. Yes. The gold treatment, isn't it? So it's it? one of those yeah. two. Yes. One of the logic problem ones. Yes. And we don't know whether that's the what It could have been earlier with the one that Tom Baker wore. And I'm just going to say it was. Because, of course. You see, that I hadn't realised that Tom Baker actually wore one of them. I just thought they'd used his voice and some other yeah. gullible person did his stuff. But I had no idea until you sent that picture that he actually did yeah. do that. I, don't, I can't imagine why he would. But it was, yeah. it was, that was Paddy Russell again. And this is something they fell out over. Because Paddy Russell felt sure that there was moments where the scene where he was walking with Sarah, that he would have to be seen to be the doctor walking. And Tom Baker was so distinctive. So you can tell it's him when he's walking towards the area where she's going to shoot from. Right. Yeah. Right. I'd always been a bit questioning on that. So had he not wanted to do that? Yeah, he he refused. And yeah, apparently his arms were scraped by the costume and he was really pissed off about it. So when they came to the studio, the scene where she says it must have been a nasty accident, that's not Tom. Because by that point, he was like, I'm not going through this rigmarole again. Wow. Yes. Funny. Yes. Oh, oh, I like those stories. Mm. Okay. Um, I've got three sentences to say to you, but beware. Mm. Beast me, Sotek, in Moraka, in Tundred. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Love a bit of him. Yes. So, do you know what he's saying? I think it was just made up. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, he's so... <sighs> So he good. commits, yeah, doesn't he? He, must... he completely commits. Oh, honestly, I just... I, it really reignited my love for him. I, I always yes, remember yeah, I always him. remember that you loved Ibrahim Namin so much. <laughs> he was so... I, unlike you, like I've always... No, I don't always love the baddies, but there's just some... There's some baddies that definitely do work for me that I just kind of think, there's, you're so good at what you do. You're really... The conviction that they have, and he—I think his his conviction definitely sets him apart. He's just so blindly following, and it just—you feel from every part, every word he utters, there's just absolute commitment yeah, to it. So yeah, totally. he, he must be the second unbeliever to die. <laughs> oh, yeah, I love you. And then, of course, we have one of the screenshots: <laughs> Sarah running up the up the steps in the dress. So there's a Doctor Who podcast called The Moment, which is done in the US, and I do like it. I don't know whether they're still doing it, but I was thinking if I was asked to do this show, the moment I would choose to talk about for 45 minutes would be this moment of Sarah running up the steps. But then I thought, I'd have nothing to say other than (laughs) I just love how... It's brilliant. Yeah, it's brilliant. I really love it. It's just the way she (laughs) hikes up her dress... It's the fact that it's kind of a Victorian dress and she's from the future. It's the fact that she's there's danger because she's running because they know that they're being followed. It's the fact that a companion has agency, a woman has agency. Um, but then it's also the framing of the steps and the woods beyond. But I've got nothing more yes, to say. I've got nothing more to say about it than that. All those things, and it's it's that's not enough for. for <laughs> I'm not going to be asked to be on that podcast anyway, no. but. Yeah, yeah lucky, <laughs> but it's just I can't explain <laughs> why that is so important to me. It's like my heart lit. I remember. Do you remember at my wedding when I tried to recreate that? No, I don't. Because it was. Bad. 
<laughs> so at my wedding at the Petersfield, like there was some steps quite similar, and there was it was so beautifully framed yeah. there. So there was um, pictures of me that taken from behind while I tried to run up oh. the steps. But I think everyone was so bored of pictures. Of <laughs> it's like we're bored of her. <laughs> fucking hell! Oh, she's taking all the all <laughs> the limelight so in her wedding pictures. dress as the bride on her wedding day. <laughs> Just quit it, quit it. <laughs> <But> <laughs> <laughs> but the photographer like he was a bit confused he was like i brought like four films because this is a really small wedding with only like 10 people and i was like yeah you're probably you're probably undercooked <laughs> you just haven't kept having to get more film and more film my only memory yeah, of of your wedding no it's not my only memory but the main memory is that i was wearing horrible cream clothes and i just looked fetid and oh was that because of my instructions? Yes, but also I didn't know how to dress in those days and I didn't know who I was. So it's kind of like, I just look back and I think, oh, fucking hell, what a mess. Anyway. Well, I've got memories of marrying the wrong man, so we can all look on that day and ruin it slightly. Yes, ever so slightly ruin the day. Um. She needs help, sir. You go on ahead, find the lot. But what about you? I'll be all right. Oh, did you notice, um, I I saw one thing um, around that scene when um, the Doctor's holding Warlock and I hadn't noticed it before. It looks like the Doctor and Warlock had just had a wee giggle. Like when he's holding warlock and he's running um warlock looks like either he's like trying to look like he's grimacing in pain but it, to me he just looks like he's really having a good laugh and i just i'd like to think they'd just been cracking jokes prior to the scene being filmed but i think i could be just making it up mm. and it was lovely i've got a bit of a love-hate relationship with dr warlock unfortunately because i love the character there again character and actor separated i once wrote to peter copley asking him if he would share his memories of being in the first episode of Survivors, because he's the one that Abby talks to about how, how having to start everything again. And I sent him a really lovely little letter saying, um, it'd be lovely if you could share a few words for my book on Survivors, um, but it may be something you want to leave in the past, and I understand that. And I got this really strident note back saying, Yes, it is something I would like to leave in the past, and I have no wish to talk to you whatsoever, and I don't like to be contacted in this way. And like this was a letter through his agent, and I thought, well, fuck you, <laughs> Peter <Yeah>. Copley. <laughs> so, yeah, it's kind of like that was really oh, uncalled for. Yeah. Oh, that's a yeah. shame. How that's old must nastiest... he have been then? He looks ancient in pyramids. Probably about 2000 and. Three, four, yes. But then, okay, anyway. do we know whether or not Michael Sheard's a nice guy? Because I'm really hoping he is. Oh, lovely. Yeah, he's well known as a lovely guy on the convention circuit. Well, was, yes. Oh, okay, good. Yes. And I just, yeah, to me, I just, Michael Sheard is just, like, obviously he's in everything. He's been, obviously, Hitler so many times and all the rest of it, but he's just, he's so 100% Lawrence Garman. Like, he yeah. will only ever really be Lawrence Garman. Even though I think, the, yeah. I I think I saw him as Mr. Bronson before I will have seen Pyramids of Mars, wouldn't I? Yes. Yeah, I think And so. even so, yeah. I still definitely see him as 
Lawrence Garman. Like he just owns that in my head so very much. I think for me, I don't see Michael Sheard because I feel like Lawrence Garman is such a developed character that I see Lawrence Garman only and I just believe he's Lawrence. Right. I get that. Um, because it's so crafted and the reactions to everything are so perfect. Again, I think partly down to the actor, but partly down to Paddy Russell, that he, where he reacts to everything, like being in the TARDIS and later when he's upset because he feels like he's betrayed the Doctor and Sarah. And oh, just all the way through, just perfect. He is. like You, need, you definitely I, feel yeah. like you know how he'll react to each situation. There's yeah. nothing that you just feel like, oh yeah, no, that doesn't seem in character. Like you, you get it and you get his motivations for all the things, even if you know you wouldn't do the same thing in that situation. You're like, yeah, no, that makes sense for him. I can't believe that my brother, he and Dr. Warlock were the closest of friends. Well, if you can stop thinking of him as your brother, it'll make it a great deal easier for you. But he is my brother. From the moment he entered Sutek's tomb, he became subject to Sutek's will. What does that mean? As a human being, Marcus Scarman no longer exists. Mummy in the woods. You've got to talk about the mummy in the woods. John, when he saw the mummy in the woods, Sarah's point of view of that, he just went, he went, oh gosh, in the most beautiful way that i would have done it was yeah. such a perfect sort of like there was no because it wasn't a swear it was a very english oh gosh yeah um and he gets that from me because i say gosh quite a lot i do swear a lot as well but his reaction was so guttural and instinctive and he was just he th- he thinks it's still terrifying pyramids and i loved the fact that he did no that is yeah. that's lovely yeah. yeah no it is it is terrifying though i am um... Yeah. Oh, yeah, I've got a question here. Yeah. Why do you think that Sarah and Tom tell Lawrence so quickly that they travel in time? Because to me, that's not an essential thing to tell them. Like, he's he's like, yes. hey, how are you? And then they just kind of launch straight into that, which they tend not to in any other story. They just felt a little bit like, oh, okay, I asked how you were, and suddenly I've got your life story going. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, a bit like exactly. me on a bus, like, really. Yeah, I was going to say, it's a bit like if someone met you on a bus. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I only asked her if this was my stop. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, it was definitely oversharing. Um, <laughs> I have a question. But then I did look. Yeah, carry on. After the danger of the mummy is gone. But really too soon, Sarah and Lawrence can run it running up really loudly through the woods to where Tom and Warlock are. Yeah. And I'm like, the mummy's literally just there. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, no, <laughs> quiet. <laughs> Honestly, that just, I'd not noticed quite so much before how much that worried me this time. It was kind of like, wow. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, yes. Yeah, no, I had, uh, yeah, mm. I just liked the, um, Tom's line um, when they meet Lawrence when he's like I'm sure you don't but it's very nice of you to try when he's saying oh yes I understand yeah. and it's just that yeah. was just such a lovely line of kind of yeah sweet of you but no you ain't got a fucking clue I just yeah I thought it was lovely I think the script and the way it's delivered here by Tom particularly Tom is such on form is how terrifying this Sutek is built up to be the worst thing he's ever faced yeah and i totally believe it the worst the world is facing the greatest terror in its history or greater than even i have encountered and all that stuff and it's just like oh it's just he's so angry as well and sort of scared and you can see he's scared it's just so well built 
Beware Sutek. Sutek? Better know to you a set? Of course, Egyptian mythology. Set or Sutek was one of their gods. He was killed by Horus, god of light. Yes, but Egyptology and Mars? If I'm right, the world is facing the greatest peril in its history. Hey, wait for me! No! And the forces that are being summoned into corporeal existence in that house are more powerful and more dangerous than anything even I have ever encountered. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't feel like a something where it's the Doctor and someone similar in strength that are going to have a bit of a tussle. It's if, like the whole kind of 700 and whatever as, as sirens couldn't... It like had to be the ones to imprison this guy. Like, there's not a chance in hell that I've got of being able to defeat him in any kind of normal way. Yeah. Like, he, he's just, he's exactly. so outnumbered by Sutek's wonder. So, yeah, no, I did yeah. find that impressive. Um, yeah. Did, was there like a, obviously, in terms of watching it, the organ added loads of brilliant kind of um, build up of emotion and thing. Was there a purpose to the organ? in terms of what it was supposed to do because like it plays on its own after Ibrahim's been doing it for a while like was there like a part of it that was to summon something it's kind of like yeah it's kind of like part of the ritual isn't it it mm. seems so it's kind of I don't know but I love the fact that it's not explained it's kind yeah. of just part of it but it really adds to it I've got the um, soundtrack, not the soundtrack t- CD, the, the music CD of the music from Pyramids of Mars that someone recreated on the organ. Oh, wow. Um, and I heard it played live at Monopticon in Manchester, the Doc 2 convention, in 1994. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I think it's about the, it's how discordant it is and yes. striding. And it's sort of like clearly evil. Yeah, but, but nothing like jazz. As soon as you say discordant, I'm always, I'm always like, Ooh, a bit jazzish. But it's really not. It's done in a really kind of brutal and strong yeah. way that I yeah. find. Yeah, yeah, I found it very appealing. Yeah. I wasn't annoyed by yeah. it. Because the fear of jazz is real, isn't it? Yeah, fucking is. <laughs> Especially free flowing jazz. That phrase terrifies me. <laughs> It's like, no, please don't be free-flowing with it. Please be very Contain specific. It. Yeah. <laughs> yes. In a big box. Yeah. <laughs> An iron one. <laughs> yes. Soundproof, preferably. Yes. Um, so we've got the famous episode ending. Um, with, I didn't realise that was Bernard Archard dressed up. Because it didn't need to be. When he's in the black outfit. Oh, okay. So, same, same thing, I guess, with... Um, the doctor and his yeah. mummy outfit. It's nice yeah. that they do do that, yeah. Yeah. And I do, I do think that they're yeah. very good at. Um, oh, I've I've moved on to not the mm-hmm. the climax, but when they when he comes out. But um, very good at the the expressions of fieriness. Like every time anything comes through that time thing, the space time beautiful colored thing, thing that thing yeah that everything that comes out you really believe the warmth like everything is fucking hot that comes out of that like there's like a capsule that comes out at some point and obviously his hands when oh, he touches yeah. ibrahim i mean like yeah. they are really like there's smoke coming off everything and you you believe it like his feet when he's standing in the carpet and he's like burning into the carpet you're like 100 percent. you're like yeah that shit is hot in a way that in Planet of Fire, nothing was hot. Everything was fucking nothing ice was cold. Hot. 
<laughs> Nothing was hot. But it's that sort of detail, I think, in this story. Like the fact that they have, they bothered to do the really difficult thing of the, the shoes burning the ground. Yeah. Like you didn't need to do that. No. But that really, but it really makes added. such a difference. Yeah. Yeah. Ha. Huh. Um, so moving into episode two. Oh, yes. I love. Yes. Carry on. No, sorry, it was Go. a little thing. Just is is no. the doctor hiding behind a statue of Mr. Tumnus? <laughs> That's what Marisa said. It was Mr. Tumnus. I said no. It's it's some sort of foreign gentleman. But, foreign gentleman. But then with said, no, he's got and... horns. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. So I think you might be right. Okay. Good. I'm glad that Marisa and I are are absolutely on the same page. Attuned. There. Attuned. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Yes. Good. Now, I was just going to say, I love the fact that it's it's all this big landscape of the Osiron pattern that Tom expl- the Doctor explains, and it's about it's all about the gods and how they fought with each other and how that's trickled into Egyptian history. And I just think that's a really lovely big canvas that they paint mm. that makes it makes it feel grander. And everything with more backstory is always good, yes. provided it's not too long. Yeah. I was just thinking, I need to ask you. This is a little bit of a, a sidetrack, but it's not too much. Have you heard of the books by a guy called Sylvan Nerval? No. No. Um, no. So no. I'm listening to them at the moment, and they are really stunning. And it is all about how. Um, some some aliens in the past did some stuff on Earth and how that has trickled down to kind of feed our modern day kind of myths and things and they're the titans and it just oh honestly it's it's really it's big stuff it's really oh yeah the first one's called Sleeping Giants the second one's Waking Gods and then it's Only Human is the third one and it's um it's the Earth finding like this alien thing inside of it but it just it really explains all of that stuff in a wonderful way and it just it makes you feel like these things are bigger than you in the same way that I find that in yeah. Pyramids of Mars like the Osirens and the and Sutek is just they, they're huge creatures that are just almost unfathomably more impressive than we could ever be and it just I, I really feel that they got that across really well um, and yeah. when it explains a bit of history or explains a myth I always feel a bit cosy in in a less clumsy way than explaining like the great fire of London like yeah okay it's nice but like yeah. it's it just it feels a bit forced whereas this is just like you feel like, oh yes that's how that would have worked you feel like you're in on something quite special and um yeah no mm. I just uh, his description of yeah how that all came about and how it lent itself to the Egyptians myths I thought yeah it was beautiful in the 70s, this was a big topic for discussion as well because Eric von Daniken had done books similar to this guy. Um, I think one was called Footsteps of the Gods. So there's a whole... This all ah. happened in the 70s as well that someone wrote books like this. Right. Um, and that filtered into Death to the Daleks as well. The idea that the city had been built by someone that wasn't the Exelons originally. Nice. Um, and and then in Pyramids, the whole gods landscape. So it's kind of a 70s influence, which is having a bit of a rebirth clearly mm. yes yeah. i would recommend these books because i've been trying to find something good for a while and i've read some shit but i even read some fucking fern <laughs> britain for goodness sake <laughs> so oh my god i was really so struggling good. so i was quite relieved to find this <laughs> don't um, you love the noise that 
is made when you throw a stick at a force field. I just love that. Always. Oh, it was just... <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> Now, this is something I can't understand. It's, again, part of me, but the cosiness of being trapped in within the in the grounds of the woods. It's cosy, but it's also fucking terrifying because it means you're going to die. Yeah. So there's something about the deflection barrier that feels really cosy that you're trapped within that area. Yes. But also absolutely terrifying. It's just a weird oxymoronic thing. I definitely, I, I remember quite definitely that feeling of fear when I realised that they were all stuck inside. I, re- I remember being really... Uh, to be honest, this time, I think I was a little bit less worried. I think kind of just the knowledge that they're all okay is kind of... Well, they're not really all okay, but it doesn't really matter. <laughs> Most of them are going to die, it's fine. No. Um, but yeah, it just... I think maybe the first or second time I watched it, it really was like it kind of was all pervading. You're like, shit, what yeah. are we going to do? Like, how are we ever going to get out? Like, you're with them. You need some way out yeah. and there isn't one. Three humans within the deflection barrier have been destroyed. There are others. Eliminate them. The services are searching for them, but assembly of the rocket is being delayed. Destruction of the humans must not be allowed to delay the completion of the missile. That is of paramount importance. Your orders will be executed, Sutek. I will recall two of the services to the rocket assembly. The word I mo- wrote most on my notes was cosy. Like, the, the priest hole scene is really cosy. Yeah, even though they're judging um, it for because okay. it can't possibly be the right era for a priest hole and stuff like that. It's <laughs> so cool. <laughs> when Lawrence and Sarah are in the chest at the start of the episode when he has to hit the chest with the gun and they come out. Yes. It's like, there's so many cosy moments juxtaposed with the fear and the horror that that's obviously something that is part of what I like, but I can't really quite put my finger on what it is. <laughs> yeah, no, I completely agree. The mummies are so relentless, aren't they? Yes. You just kind of like, there's no way of getting away from them. And I'd forgotten how scary the music was when they're chasing yeah oh, i think the music that that is just really makes it work so much better i found marcus was so wonderful at being possessed like he just at no point did you feel like that he was I don't know that he was anything other than like a walking cadaver as he is described by the doctor like I just yeah they they do that so well but then that tiny little piece of him that comes out when Lawrence is kind of probing him like it was just yeah I, I found him yeah again just brilliantly plausible and yeah he just at the he gave such a feeling um, yeah, yeah, no, I did really like him. That yeah, yeah, you just like yeah, he he died in that, in the um, in yeah. the tool the, the tomb, and he's never coming out. And it's yeah, it was just yeah, it's quite powerful. I do love the trip to nineteen eighty in the TARDIS, partly because of Lawrence's enthusiasm, but 
or mainly for me, it's because Liz Sladen, when she's doing the acting by the wall behind. So you've got Lawrence being all excited about what he's seeing. But Liz is like doing this. I think we should leave. And I kind of think we should just go now. And you can see she's wor- she works up to asking the doctor if they can go. And you see her loitering and thinking and plotting. And I just love that you see all that in right. her performance yeah. before she says anything. And that is unusual, again, in Doctor Who, that you see someone's thought process. And that is actually filmed really well. Great heavens. This is unbelievable. Totally unbelievable. You're going to say it transcends all the normal laws of physics? I am, yes. I mean, it does. It's, it, it's preposterous. Isn't it? I often think dimensional transcendentalism is preposterous, but it works. Would you like to look around? May I? Please. <laughs> Well, now we are here, why don't you tune up 1980 and we can... Well, leave. I can't. Oh. Oh, why can't you? Because if Sutek isn't stopped, he'll destroy the world. But he didn't, did he? I mean, we know the world didn't end in 1911. Do we? Yeah, no, I agree. So, with that, though, I still don't get it. I don't get it now. I've never got it in the show. Like, I just don't get like, the whole use of time in Pyramids of Mars confuses the fuck out of me. I don't understand how that you can't go back and change things if you clearly can. If if Sutek can change the, the future, then surely you can go and change things. But they do come from 1980, so it doesn't make any sense. And then once they've been to the Pyramid of Mars, like, why would they not... Then he's like, oh, we've got to run. And I was like, well, no, you don't have to fucking run. You've got a time machine. That makes no fucking sense whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bit no, you're right. The time elements. I mean, he says you've looked into alternative time. And it's like, well, if you looked into alternative time, let's just get on a different time track and not worry about it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I do struggle. But then, but then I suppose if there is just one time, but he says there is, because he says you've looked into alternative time, that's the problem, I think, with this. If he said no, actually, you you this is actually what happens if we don't go back and you won't exist. If she starts, if she had started to fade or something, but but that would have been too much. And I'm glad they didn't do that. Yeah, and it would have been a back to the future. Yeah, but but, but I think the problem is that he's saying there's different times because that does take away the threat a little. Yeah, I just if, it if, it's always confused me every time I've watched it, and I just thought, well, I've just I'm not going to question it because apart from this, I'm happy. But it just yeah, yeah it just never no, really I, fully made you. sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it, another bit of beautiful choreography was the um, when Lawrence comes out from behind the the sarcophagus or or I, I can't remember oh, yeah, the TARDIS, and, they, they, and they, they pull him back, no. and he really jumps back. It's yeah. just so cool. It was just beautifully done. Very happy that well, they did a bit of that. Like he really jumped. It was so cute. Yes, I loved that too. Now the interesting thing about Paddy Russell again here, she insisted that Ernie Clements should die. In the original script, he gets away and he doesn't die. Oh. But she said he should die because it's much more strong and I just love the fact that she pushed for that. Yes and it does like because not everyone's dying there but it, yeah it's it does kind of bring the threat to life a little bit more doesn't it? It does feel like oh yeah. actually shit that no one's no human's life is actually very important in any of this they are all just pointless things that are getting in the way yeah yeah. 
And this has to be the best episode ending ever in Doctor Who. Just <laughs> I brook no refusal. This is the best episode. <laughs> Okey doke. <laughs> I'm saying nothing. <laughs> I love. I just love the fact that they're at the lodge and they think they're going to be safe. And Sarah banging on the door when they obviously close the door with Sarah and she goes. <laughs> I love that noise. <laughs> and then when they get in, the chaos of the mummies in there and the way, the way. The, the mummy grabs the gun and it goes off and then Sarah on the floor rocking about in her dress and then getting up yeah. and it's just like, oh my Christ, this is the most terrifying moment ever. Because... Yeah. And seen the lodge the was pers- so brilliantly oh. cosy as well. Oh, totally. But do you not love that episode ending? Yeah, I do. I do. I guess it's just something I've seen so many times I don't think of it as being good or bad it's just it's it's another episode ending and i kind of don't have that same thought of it but i'm, I'm certainly not against it in any way i think it's very it's very powerful yeah yeah no yeah. It, it's it's very good and it yeah. but i think the thing that sticks out to me is just the yeah the the lodge itself i just i want to live there like there's just something about it it's just so freaking adorable even if mummies do come popping in yes. i'd be quite happy with that lovely well it's really place. funny because last night after we watched pyramids the end of it um, I made a fire for the first time this year because it was cold. And, but I had to soup out the grate and I had to do loads of different things and get the coal in, the logs were on. And, and I said, we, we can make this cosy, even though mummies might attack any moment. And it was, that's, that's what I said to him while we were outside. And he was like, yeah, it'll be fine. Oh, cute. Yes. Oh, that's so lovely. Yeah. Oh, wow, you're already that cold. That's insane. I know. Return to control, return to control, love. Yes, return to control. Okay, so how did the Doctor know that that's the the right command that you give to a servo robot? Like You don't know, do you? No. No. But Sarah, Sarah says anything. stop, though, doesn't she? She knows to yes. say stop, whatever it is. Yes. But, yes, I just think that's just such a brilliant moment. Oh. Yeah. Oh. A ring, Sarah. And again, it just it's nice that she's the one with the power there. We love a bit of that. Yes. I think now's a good time for a bit of trust for success. Oh, Good plan. Yes. So. I'm gonna get rest for success. Shaping me up for the big time, baby. Get rest for success. So many things. So a really good selection of of quality tweed, I'd say, around the place. Really like a bit of, of tweed outfitting, and I think that we, we, we had a fair old amount of it. It was beautiful, and it just, yeah, they, it fitted well. Everything fitted well. No one looked like they were wearing someone else's outfit, which was nice. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> There's a lot of that in Doctor Who. Yeah. And I really, uh, there was that, but also I like that um, Marcus was wearing um, very much the kind of that, Englishman abroad kind of um, yeah. almost pith helmety type outfit. It mm. was just kind of, it really, it was so perfectly correct. Um, the mummies obviously themselves were stunning, um, and I guess I'm interested to know 
the reason for their their shape was there a purpose as to why they kind of had that weird breastplate and the kind of the eye shape do you know any history of that i don't but i am fascinated by how they went for that in a way that feels mm. like it was so totally deliberate and meant but i've got no information for you and i no. just think it's just a brilliant design so that yeah, was um it is brilliant another woman christine Rusco. Oh, lover. Yeah. Um, obviously, Ibrahim Namin's Fez. Fuck yeah. Like, just so brazen putting an Egyptian guy in a Fez. <laughs> it's just... Yeah. Love that. He wears it so, like, just comfortably. It's like, well, I'm always wearing my Fez, obviously. Why would Obvs. I not? Um, I'm Egyptian. Lawrence, when he's wearing his... Um, no, not Lawrence. Mark, Marcus, when he's wearing his PVC get-up. I love it. Yeah. I just, yeah. I just I, that's a that costume that I wish existed and could be seen somewhere because that's a brilliant costume, that. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Uh, but then, I guess, Sutek, I don't know if he's dressed for success, but he's definitely carved for success or whatever that outfit is. But he's just, the oh, whole, yeah. the design of that is just stunning. Yeah. It really is so John beautiful. actually gasped yeah. when we first saw Sutek. He's like, ah! <gasps> Sutek, oh. and he's like, because that's you don't see him till episode three, and it's like, wow, he was really impressed. Oh, do you not? No, you oh, don't. I hadn't realised. Yeah. And he's, I love his little tiny red PVC gloves. He's got very small hands. <laughs> it's so cute. We've both got little hands <laughs> up to the camera. Little, little Sutek hands. <laughs> little hands. <laughs> <laughs> it is so cute. But obviously, Sarah's dress is stunning and it does it does a lot for the story doesn't it it really, it really does. does it's i talked to martin yesterday um martin holmes about pyramids and one of the first things he said and of course is sarah's dress <laughs> like yes i'm with you <laughs> it's like you don't need to explain it's just yes yeah we just accept that yes. moment. <laughs> yeah no it is but like i think it does say something because i think a lot of the outfits have been quite disappointing up until that which is why i think we get so excited like i i just straight away like think about this the same era for me of um of getting videos was the time warrior so if you look at her fucking fetid outfit in the time warrior compared to that yeah i just feel really sad for her when i think about the time warrior and that fucking awful outfit yeah. <laughs> absolutely hideous yeah. but yeah it just feels almost like I think that was always my thing in Doc 2 was when they were ever allowed to wear something beautiful. It just made me so happy. Oh, thank you. Thanks for doing that for us. Like Mary Tam and Reboss and, yeah. and Sarah in this. It's just like, thank you. You've given us what we all needed. And it was just, it's such a shame when they missed the mark so fucking often. Yeah. <laughs> really a lot. I kind of worry about, is part of what I like about this a patriarchal damsel in distress thing going on? And I find that interesting that there's something about that that is appealing but because she has agency but it's she, okay she's, yeah. yeah yeah i don't feel that damsel in distress bit comes out very strongly no and I, like i don't when you have expressed a liking for certain outfits it has never been like i'm, I'm now going straight to um, mary tam in stones of blood yeah. i like her flowing pink skirt but it's not it's not because she's a tall damsel in distress. No. It's because she's fucking taken over. So I think it's just that you like flowing skirts. It's just your thing, sweetie. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. How much do you love the fact that the deflection barrier is created with the canopic jars at each corner? Oh, a lot. <gasps> Did you know I bought myself some canopic jars at one point? Did you? Yes. They were. Um, you remember when I used to work at Beauty Fresh? Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, we did like a sideline in weird ass shit from some weird like Chinese fucking factory or something. <laughs> we had a whole range of canopic jars. It was so bizarre. So, yeah, had about three of them. Fuck knows what happened to them. They're like two quid or something. <laughs> High quality shit. Brilliant. Setting up a deflection barrier around Newport. <laughs> so it was. <laughs> Deflecting everyone out because fuck, don't go. There. Don't come here. Yeah, exactly. Um, we have to talk about Sutek's mellifluous, silky, golden, gorgeous voice. Gabriel Wolf playing Sutek. How really terrifying! Insanely good. Yeah, ah. he just he commanded everything with his voice, didn't he? he just yeah. obviously he did literally in the show, but that's not what I mean. Like he really did. You kind of stopped what you were doing just to listen to him speak. Like, obviously, I wasn't busy doing housework at the same time, but I was like, I needed to be giving him my full attention. It was, yeah, an impressive voice, really beautiful. Once the missile is projected, you will seek out and destroy my enemies. The alien who dares to intrude, the humans, animals, birds, fish, reptiles. All life is my enemy. All life shall perish under the reign of Sutek the Destroyer. What the director, Paddy Russell, said was, I wanted someone who could who could act with their voice because he knew they wouldn't be she knew they wouldn't be seen and he absolutely mm. acts with his voice. You feel yes. like he's a fully rounded person. Yes. And often when you can't see someone's mouth move and their eyes, you, it's usually quite wooden in Doctor Who. Yeah. But this was like, no, he's fully realized yeah he really is yeah there's no part of him that you don't feel has has landed everything that he says is just yeah really strong so is he big in other things gabriel wolf i don't know he's got lots of voice parts obviously oh so he's a mainly a voice actor is he yeah yeah okay i think so okay well he knows what he's good at well done can I tell you my tomb of Tutmosis the third story? Yes, please. So the the list of the seven seven hundred and forty gods who defeated Sutek that Sarah knows are listed in the tomb of Tutmosis the third. Yeah. And um, which she tells she tells him in the poacher's hut. Isn't the poacher's hut cosy? Gosh. Yes. Um, is um, when we went to the Valley of the Kings that same trip. Marisa and I went into the tomb of Tutmosis the third. Now they just took you to three tombs randomly. And it just happened. Well, the first one was Tutankhamun, which obviously you go in that one. Um, then I can't remember the second one, but the third one was like, oh, we're going to go up the hill a bit. We're going to go into the tomb of Tutmosis III. And I was like, yes, yes. <laughs> Everyone else in the party were like, okay. <laughs> I was just so excited. <laughs> and anyway, we got in there. It was the most eerie tomb, far eerier than any of the other tombs, because it was a different period. And all loads of the faces of the characters on the walls were green. It felt way more alien. Oh. Loads of the faces of the character, the gods were green. And it felt really scary. And it was darker. And this wasn't theatre, but when we got into the central cavern part of it, suddenly all the lights went off. Oh. So we were in the middle of the tomb. Just complete pitch. Just in this yeah. tomb it's a terrifying moment and we gripped each other and and then they came back on and they said oh the lights are a bit faulty down here it's always doing that and I'm like yes or it's Sutek <laughs> yeah. one of the two 
<laughs> so how big are the tombs? Like, how many people can fit in there without it feeling terrifying? Well, Tutankhamun's tiny. Right. So you have to go, like, down five at a time or something. But the other two we went in, including Tismosis the Third, there was, like, probably about 100 people in it at the time. It's huge. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. But that's because Tutankhamun died suddenly. Well, they think possibly murdered. So his tomb wasn't prepared, which is why he has such a small tomb. Right. Oh, interesting. Yes. Sutek was only defeated in the end by the combined might of 740 of his fellow Asylums led by Horus. 740 gods whose names were recorded in the tomb of Tutmosa III. Could be. So we're in the shed, which is yes. really cute. And I love... I love the concept of sweaty gelignite. Every time I hear the word gelignite, I always think that it's sweaty, and I always feel like it's very dangerous. Like it's just it's there in my head now. And um, do you deal with gelignite on a daily basis? Always, <laughs> always having gelignite conversations. It's just it's a problem. Um, but yeah, I didn't I really like that um, when SJ, sorry, SJ, Sarah Jane kind of realises that she's done a naughty thing. Like, she really does convey embarrassment quite well. I feel like most of the time she's quite kind of like, you know, oh, fuck you kind of thing. She's quite, no, she's not. She's confident and she's, <laughs> <laughs> she's strong and she stands by what she says or does. But when when she kind of, like, realises, oh, fuck, that was a bit stupid. Like, she really, the, the embarrassment is kind of, I feel it with her. I'm like, oh, no, I would feel really embarrassed if I'd done that stupid thing as well. Like, I just, yeah, I think she conveyed that brilliantly well. I like her. Yes. Yeah. So we've got the wonderful scene between Lawrence and Marcus that you've already talked about, which is so sad. And John was really upset. He said, I know he's going to die, but he was saying to the doctor and Sarah, just take Lawrence with you so he doesn't die. He was really upset that he didn't go with them to the poacher's hut. Um, It's just so inevitably tragic and horrendous, but they play it so well. And it's just the... oh. And the fact that, as you say, Marcus re- reached something. Yes, something in a, in a dead man. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. It, it makes it all the more powerful. Cause he, yeah, because Marcus plays it so well that he's just, there's nothing left of him. That when there's a tiny bit, sliver comes out, it feels special. It feels like that bond yeah. between them did something. Um, hmm. Yeah, no, it Michael Sheard was upset he didn't get a death scene. He wanted to have him being seen being killed. But I just think that was wrong. That he shouldn't have done it. I think they were right that they didn't show it because it'd you see, too I, much. I don't think it's clear that he's dead because he kind of walks up to him and you're like, well, he might die, might not. And so I think giving him a death scene would have been nice just to close it off a little bit more. Um, but obviously, you see him dead afterwards. But like it just kind of, you're kind of left thinking, oh, he might be all right. Maybe he just walked away after that. <laughs> Maybe he's like, okay, I'll let you go. So I think it would have been quite... I would have preferred to have a death scene there, but then that's just because I'm I'm probably a little bit less... Um, I don't know, I think things through a bit less. And I'm just like, oh, someone just killed him on screen. I get it. I know what's happening now. <laughs> I've got a sentence for you. I shall mingle with the mummies, but I won't linger. <laughs> When he's dressed up and they're about to go and do the business, I shall shall mingle with the mummies, but I won't (laughs) linger. Such a weird line. It's so lyrically done, though. It's brilliant. And I wrote down at this point, there is absolutely no padding in this story. Yeah. Episode three is usually running about for no good reason, but everything has purpose here. 
Yes. And that when that moment, even though it's such a basic effect of like just stopping and reversing the the filming, like it just yeah. you it feels wholly like hundred percent Sutek is containing that explosion. Like it's just like yes. yeah, I get it. This is that's all you needed to do. It didn't yeah. need to be any more impressive effects than that. And just that yeah, that that the way that was done and the kind of that feeling like when um when the doctor goes to distract him, it was just like I mean, I was I was with Susek in that moment. I was like, oh, I'm really, really when you're really trying to concentrate to do something. Like to me, it was like when I'm when I'm crocheting, trying to count the number of stitches, and the girls are there saying, Mom, Mom, what about having the tea? And I'm like, the fucking pyramids exploded now, you bitches. <laughs> just, just, I felt 100 percent with him in that moment. Poor thing. Two things I've got to say is Sarah shooting the thing is the best companion moment ever. Mm. One. Yeah. Two, it had never occurred to me before, and I find it really odd that it didn't. That when Tom, Be- when the Doctor dressed as the Mummy is given the coordinates, then Marcus goes back inside. The Doctor doesn't need to leave the coordinates in the in the pyramid. He could just walk off with the coordinates, and they don't need to blow up the rocket. Oh yeah. Never occurred to me. I hate to spoil pyramids of Mars, but that no. had never occurred to me. Yeah. Yeah, it's so. just, ha ha, you can't move. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. <laughs> hit it. I know I hit it. You did. Sutek is containing the explosion. How? Mental power. There's only one hope left. I've got to get to him. Break his concentration. I was really surprised by the episode ending with Sutek's eyes going glowing because I knew the first two episode endings really well. I didn't know this one. And I guess it's because when you watched, because we watched the compilation so many times, it was obvious that the other two points were episode endings because they were so climactic. But this one is less obvious that this is the episode ending, I think. Right. The eyes. Yes. Okay. I, yeah, I thought it was the explosion. Effect. I thought the explosion was the episode ending. Right. Rather than the eyes. Yeah. So that's interesting. Anyway. Yes. So we're into episode four. So abase I, yourself. <laughs> abase yourself, you groveling insect. Yes. <laughs> the script here. I remember thinking I don't know what half of these words are, but I like the script. Yes. Like, it doesn't matter. You can get the gist, sweetie. <laughs> yeah. 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 It is. It's really good. And I love the concept and, again with that Sylvan Noble stuff that I've been reading, like the Galactic Zero Center thing. Like you didn't give me fucking names. Like this, that wouldn't yes. make any sense to me. Like I, I really like yes. it. And I love. Uh, I want to know: is Galactic Zero Center a thing? Obviously, clearly not. But I hope it is. It should be at some point. It'd be very useful. Yeah. And the way he said, the way he's so dismissive. Names mean nothing. Yes. It's brilliant. Ah. Yes. Oh. Identify yourself, plaything of Sutek. I'm a traveller. From where? Gallifrey. The constellation of Casterbridge. Names mean nothing. What is the binary location from Galactic Zero Center? 10-0-11. by 0-2. I know the planet. Data retrieval. The sentence that I picked up on this time that I did not pick up on before, which I loved, is when the Doctor's talking about humans... 
and he's trying to hide the fact that he's you know really deeply cares about Sarah. And Sutek says, "Your argument is a cloud, but I see through it." Oh, I just thought that was a brilliant line. It was yeah. just oh. yeah, he does. He he really kind of cuts to the chase with them. Um, the Doctor doesn't he? He's like, "Yeah, yeah, no, I know when you're talking flannel to me." Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. I know what's going on here, and also. Marisa really laughed at this point because when the the doctor goes on about isomorphic controls, this is something we say all the time in the house. And I don't think she realised it was from pyramids. I knew it was from pyramids because um, whenever I say, oh, do we want to watch this now? I never do the controls. Marisa always does it because we have three or four different controls and I never know which one's the right one. I always press the wrong button. And my defence for being lazy about the controls on the TV is that I'll get it wrong. So I just don't do it. <laughs> Most of the time. You are. And she, is, she, and she always says, oh, fucking isomorphic control. <laughs> she always says it. So when it came up, on this time watching Pyramids, it's from Pyramids of Mars, isomorphic <laughs> controls. <laughs> yeah, so to me, when I hear isomorphic, and I'm just like, oh, okay, we're isomorphic today, are we? Like, I just was like, you choose your fucking moments. Like, one minute we're isomorphic, one minute we're not. And I just, that pisses me off about Doctor Who. It's just kind of, they flip-flop back and forth from being isomorphic and not. And maybe they don't, but they're definitely, a lot of the time, they're fucking not. And sometimes they're fucking Oh, they're definitely not. But Robert Holmes, who was who rewrote it, who wrote it basically from the start, he said that um, people always got upset about this isomorphic controls thing, but he just said, couldn't the Doctor have been lying to Sutek? So is this the first time that it's been used? Yeah. Oh, yeah. was it really? And yeah. is it used yeah. since? I feel like it might have been... No, I think that's it, yeah. Really? I think so. Maybe there's another time. I feel like I think... it's used yeah. so much, but maybe that's just that it's in my head. Yeah. Wow. He says the, doctor's, the Doctor was maybe lying to Sutek. Yeah, fair enough then. I'm with you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh. Well, I, yeah, yes. No, you've got something as well. Yeah, I'm questioning. Big. Like, I'm just starting to work it through. Like, where are the fucking robots from? Like, were they in the tomb? Like. Yeah, and how did he, he build them with, with them? mental power alone? Yes. Yes. But he can get someone um, to do it. He could have got Lawrence. Marcus, I was honestly I had to write myself a little key at the beginning. It was, uh, Lawrence is in the UK, Marcus is in <laughs> Egypt. <laughs> Just like I always get those two confused. Something that's important that we must talk about is that four, three times in the final episode, it gets called the Pyramid of Mars. Sutek says Pyramid <laughs> of Mars twice, and Sarah says it once. Yes. And Elizabeth Slade in an interview has always called it Pyramid of Mars. And I always thought, well, you're saying it wrong. Can you please get it right, Sarah or Elizabeth Sladen? But um, I can understand why they thought it was that, because there aren't pyramids. There's just one. There's just one, yeah. But so then are we saying that the actual title of the show is a bit wrong? Possibly. Possibly. Okay. Which is a bit of a revelation. Oh, yeah. And can we have a bit of... Um, Information as to what tribophysics is. No idea. <laughs> cupboard. I cupboard it bear. Sorry. It's it's about friction. Ah. The science of friction. But I was like, oh, well, that's not, good. I'm still not, not making sense. Isn't that when he just does so that? Basi- so basically, so. the movement caused the doors to open. I'm completely oh. sold on tribophysics now. It doesn't take much for you to be sold on a scientific concept. <laughs> Someone else said it. It's got a word. Right, I believe it. 
science. <laughs> you say that in the same way that you'd say magic. <laughs> no different. <laughs> so are you a fan of the puzzles or not? Yes. And there's a key. Oh, some key. Do you know what it means? Yes. Obviously, the length of the lines provide a scale of measurements. That reminds me of City of the Excellence. Don't touch anything. I wasn't Well, going... don't. I... One false move and we can be blown to perdition. Feet and inches one side, metres and centimetres the other. Let's see. Um, I always was. Because... Yeah. It just... Obviously, I love the fact that they kind of talk about the city of the Exelons. It does kind of bring you that kind of feel, like, and that is the mm. brilliance of Death the Daleks. So the fact that there are puzzles makes me very happy. The quality of the puzzles, um, now, like, I, I did, <laughs> I just was quite wowed, I guess, looking back as, like, when... Sutek is kind of taking the piss out of Horus saying, oh, you're giving me these silly games. So I'm like, well, yeah. yeah, essentially you've given him spot the difference, haven't you? Like, it's not <laughs> it's not much different. So, um, yeah, I did find that was a bit sick. But also, it was the first time that I've ever seen the, whatever that riddle is or conundrum where the, if, if I asked that person that, what would the answer be mm. kind of thing. But I've seen that used in hundreds of things since. Um but not, and always attributed it to Doctor Who. So, oh, yes, they've obviously stolen that from Doctor Who. It's, <laughs> it's only later I realised, oh, that might be a thing before Doctor Who, perhaps. <laughs> I think it's Kafka, originally. Ah, okay. Yes. But um, now you said about Spot the Difference, I've got this image of, of Marcus and the and the robot mummies going forward and, like, there's a, a big picture of a footballer on the wall and they're going to look at where the ball is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Oh, look, that's missing. Yes, that one. <laughs> Didn't I buy you the cushion with the, one of the puzzles on it? Yes, you did. I have it somewhere still. Yes. Yes, yes. you do. Thank yes. you. Um, um, I like that there was duct taped buttons to the to Sarah's machine. Um, yes. Was, <laughs> it was really badly done, that thing. It was just like, it really was cobbled together in two seconds and... Done. <laughs> yeah. But I do like the way when he writes relax and then she's got she does the Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that is cute. They go through the same door twice at one point. They there's the static charge door, which is the same as the one with the door where the, the thing's hidden, and they do it the same one twice. It's really weird. I thought I'd never noticed that before. Anyway, that's not important not important. And when they get through it all, they have to destroy like a weird seventies like goldfish bowl thing that was kind of odd i kind of i'd never really paid <laughs> yeah. that much attention to it before but it was just so wonderfully 70s like it looks so much a product of its time it just you can imagine like an aspidistra kind of jumping off that kind of thing like it just felt really yeah not at all different egyptian or mars no it's odd isn't it it's mm. almost art nouveau or something mm. i don't know yeah strange um, I always think that when the all the doors open, showing the way back to the TARDIS, and he says the time factor, that yes. the doors aren't in a straight line in terms of how they move through the pyramid, but maybe they are. 
It just feels yes. like, well, you wouldn't be able to see the TARDIS from the angle in all the doors. Yeah, no, I, I, I liked the, the view of that. And it just kind of, to me, it kind of smacked of, like if suddenly someone showed you a clear view out of Ikea, it would just feel quite magical kind of thing. Like you've gone through such a, a maze to get there, but <laughs> yes. in reality, it's yeah, just exactly. been like a straight line kind of thing. Like it just, to yeah. me, it just kind of, sh- it showed to me that it was take that what you felt like you'd done was really complex, but in fact, it was just a straight line from here to there kind of thing. I just, that felt mm. quite nice to me. Yes. yes. But yes, the time factor wound me up as I've explained already. Yeah. Sutek's head, I think is brilliant. I love Sutek's head. I know yes. it's kind of not... I just think it's really terrifying that you've suddenly got an Egyptian god come to life and he's there in front of you. Mm. And I don't know. John loved it as well. And we were all saying, the head's brilliant. But most people think the head's crap and because it's not oh. got any animation. But we loved it here okay. last night. Yes. <laughs> and I always loved house. it in the past. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um, did they only use a couple of the walls of the TARDIS or something? So it didn't feel like they had a whole TARDIS there. Like it, it was a new set built for Pyramids of Mars. So, because there's no TARDIS set in the previous series, Tom Baker's first series, there's no TARDIS set. So, yeah, so they built it for Pyramids. But I mean, but like the, the outside of the TARDIS, yeah. like oh, the outside. They, yeah, oh, when I they walk, know. when they walk back to um, through the the little passageway and then they get to the TARDIS they just kind of it just looks like they walk in behind the TARDIS and it just looked like they had two walls they couldn't be asked putting the third and fourth up oh, so possibly. they just kind of walked in but possibly. I don't know yeah yeah, yeah. It didn't look quite right yeah the beauty of that time vortex I just I found it so stunning I think yeah that's one of the things that um because I'm just all about colours and pictures and fairies and things when I was younger. It was just like, it was that, the time vortex plus the old BBC video, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, like, just kind of, those kind of, like, mingled in my brain as just the most beautiful kind of in-your-face colours that just really get you. That's true. That's a real match of that sort of style and feel. We always loved the rainbowy vortex, yeah. It's just stunning. It was necessary. Mm. And, um... Yeah, that's it. The end. It was brilliant. <laughs> I think. Yeah, I think it's it's wrapped up a bit too quickly, in that glib line. You know, I know that's the time control from the TARDIS, but what happened? And I, I kind of like the radio waves thing. The time it takes radio waves to get from Mars to Earth, but it doesn't quite make sense, as we've said. But I don't care because it feels so complete. And I love the priory being burned to the ground, remember? And that's how unit's going to be there. And that's all great. Yeah, and I'm the same. I I don't need everything to make absolute perfect sense. As long as it makes Doctor Who sense, that's that's fine. Like, it's just, if you're going to pull it apart for the purposes of a podcast, yes, it doesn't all hang together absolutely perfectly. However, the whole story is stunning. Um, and there's nothing yeah. that can, yeah, take that away in any way. Yeah, no, beautiful. Yeah. Okay, so we agree it's stunning. How many TARDISes out of ten? Ten. Hundred percent. Yeah, same. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. There is, no yeah, question. There's no, yeah. Yeah. God, if you said yes. anything other than ten when you've we're still using your fucking terror of the autons as a baseline, I'd be struggling, but <laughs> <laughs> True fact. So in summary, Pyramids of Mars, just a few words to finish off talking about it. 
you go first. Okay, set in the perfect time, pulling in bits of the Egyptology and the excitement of being somewhere all cosy, having beautiful architecture, plus quite beautiful sets. It just, everything hangs together nicely. And well done, Paddy, for making them rehearse so much because it shows. They just, they yeah. say it all perfectly. And yeah, it, they, it just hasn't been bettered in any way. So stunning. Yes, I can't add much more other than saying it's Tom and Liz in the finest form. The characters are just perfect the way they interplay here. Um, it didn't even say about, you know, that bit about in the woods when they're saying about, I'm not just standing here admiring the scenery and all that stuff. I love it. Love it. It's just perfect. And Michael Sheard giving one of the best supporting guest roles ever. Um, best villain, Sutek. I was so disappointed when when it wasn't Sutek in the Satan pit. I thought that would have been the best reveal. I thought that was really right. wasted that it wasn't. Ah. But, yes. So, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. The big the question though is how do you follow pyramids of Mars with something better? Well, you can't. No. So it's going to be downhill it, next it, time. It isn't is. It? It's always downhill. I mean, that really it is the apex of all Doctor Who, isn't it? It really is. However yeah. much you can love a story after that, it's never going to quite hit that same mark. No. So we apologise for that story in advance for it being shit. Well, let's compared. make it a let's make it Sylvester McCoy, and then it's no surprise. <laughs> <gasps> Again, you've let people give out a collective gasp of horror. Horror. Yes, weirdos. (laughs) (laughs) It's just wrong. Right, well, I loved it. Bye! (laughs) (laughs) Wow! (laughs) That's almost like the fast end to the story that we had. (laughs) I know that's the time control from the TARDIS, but bye! (laughs) (laughs) Exactly! It's the time factor. Bye! (laughs) Bye! (laughs) Thank you for joining me on this Pyramids of Mars episode. You are Um, very welcome. I'm glad we finally did a very good one. Thank you for not making me watch some crap. It's okay. My pleasure. No, when mum when mum listens to a podcast, she's sat there in the car laughing to her own jokes. <laughs> it's so great. <laughs>